about gravity. It's a constant. It affects everything and everyone. It's a relentless weight that never gives up in pulling us down. But gravity can be defeated. When a force is applied that is greater than the force of gravity, then and only then can we say that we are defying gravity. So up until now, I've been telling you guys stories about, <clears throat> like, a really young version of me. And, uh, you know, it doesn't get much better, to be honest, um, because as my life progresses, I find more and more things that I am weak in. So I, I, I want to do an awkward thing and share a, a weakness of mine uh, and probably one of the biggest failure points in my life. Because uh, when we talk about guilt, I, you know, when Paul says, I am chief among sinners... Uh, right here. Um, when I was in high school, I told you guys previously about a story where I was asked to exit my house uh, by my parents. There were some circumstances that happened, and they said, you're out of here. And so um, I ended up being taken in by my church family, and, and it was actually two families that took me in. One family gave me a home, a place to live, and one family gave me hope. Because see, the thing is, when I was asked to leave my house, it was basically this moment where uh, I just... <clears throat> I didn't believe in myself anymore. I didn't believe in my future anymore. I didn't really believe that I was going to do anything of worth. And so what happened was I got home, which was nice. It was a great place to sleep. But my pastor and his wife saw what was going on in my life and said, this is something that we need to invest in. And so my pastor David and his wife Kim, uh, at the time, that's the Pastor David, which is really ironic because it's still Pastor David. It's like a pastoral name. Um, different Pastor David. Uh, but they invited me into their home. And so what we did was uh, I met with Pastor David uh, probably twice or three times a week. I mean, I met with him a lot. And he, he brought me over. He taught me how to play bass guitar. He taught me how to do Bible studies. He taught me how to do honest Bible studies, you know, when you're not like trying to bring an idea into Scripture, but when you're reading Scripture for what it says. And it was just a tremendous time. But most importantly, what he did for me was he led me through this book called Who I Am in Christ. And it was basically this point-by-point declaration of my identity in Christ, that I was not uh, worthless, but I was worth something. That I wasn't just average, but I was a saint chosen by God. I was paid for with a great price. And, and he walked me through this thing. And so if you're struggling with identity, I'd really recommend Who I Am in Christ by Neil Anderson. Really influential book. But that's not my point. My point is, is that he took me into his life. And, and so when I would be done you know, doing a Bible study with uh, Pastor David, we'd go upstairs and we'd have dinner. And it just felt like home. And it was such good medicine for me you know, being homeless just a little while before. And you would think that with those kinds of people that I would, like, do anything for. And the truth is I would. I wanted to be the person that they believed in. I wanted to be the person that they thought I was. And so what I did was I um, 
started going to school part-time. I went to a community college there nearby uh, because I was going to go on into ministry. I was thinking I might actually become a pastor someday, so I'll need to be educated. Well, you'd hope. But um, so I, I, I thought I'm going to be educated. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a part of the future that they're telling me that I can be a part of. So I, I went to this community college. I took some classes. I was working full-time. And I really, really wanted to live up to this person that they were kind of casting in front of me. And so I did. I, I went to school, but uh, I had this one class. It was English. It was like the English 101, like the easiest English class ever in retrospect. It was incredibly hard. <laughs> when I was, you know, 19 years old, 18 years old, I, I'm thinking, this is really, really difficult. She's talking about prepositions and, and, and thesis statements and apotheses. And I don't, I think apotheses live in Africa. I'm not really sure what's going on. It was really tough. And so I... Two, two weeks into the class, I uh, realized that in college, you can stop going to classes, and no one will like, come get you. So I went to the little registrar's office, and I said, I'm dropping this class. I'd like a little bit of a refund. I'm done. Please, I don't want to do this anymore. Meanwhile, I did not want to tell these people this because see, they thought that I was going to be successful. They thought that I was going to you know, walk into ministry, and I was going to be like a straight-A student on my way there. And so I wanted to live into this identity. I had this road in front of me. But what I chose was the easier path, to quit. Now, that in itself isn't terribly wrong. But what I did when I got a text message two weeks into class saying, how did class go from uh, my pastor's wife, Kim, because she was checking in on me. And I said, Fine. I already dropped the class. But I said, fine. And it was just a small, small choice. But it was a small, small choice to the right. And I had this clear path in front of me, the, the road that I knew that I had to walk on. But I made a small choice to walk a little bit off. So that small choice made a decision for me that from now on, the reality that I was going to cast, the reality that I was going to paint was that I was still in class because I didn't want to disappoint them. So that fine, that little lie, turned into uh, other ones because they were really, really nice to me. They were really, really influential in my life. They constantly checked in on me, which is like awesome and terrible when you're trying to lie because eventually I had to start like creating an entire reality Okay, because if you were in a class, there'd be funny stories, especially when you're me and weird things happen to you. And so you'd have to like make it real, make it believable, sell it. Okay, and so weeks turned into months, turned into the end of the semester, and I was still lying to these people that had opened up their home to me, that had loved me like the parents that I always wished I had. And I, 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 I remember the day when they found out. It was, I was over at their house and uh, I had told so many lies that I wasn't exactly sure what the truth was anymore. And, and so I, I kind of talked myself into a corner and they're really intuitive, so they looked at me and they said, Adam, you're not being honest with us, are you? 
And, and then it was just like, I just like threw up all the truth that I could think of and all the emotions that I could think of at the time. I was like, no, I, d- I haven't been in class in, since like January and I feel really, really bad. And every story I've told you about English class is completely false. And, and so I just started like regurgitating all this yuck. And I remember sitting there in their house and, and, and Kim is sitting next to me and, and, and David is sitting on the piano bench over here, and they're both looking at me, and their faces are just so sad and angry. And I remember thinking, I feel like my worlds have collided at this point. Because, see, going into that house, there was part of my life that was the good, you know, good kid that they believed in, the good kid that was gonna that was gonna someday become a pastor, that was gonna be in the ministry, that was gonna love people, that was gonna be sacrificial, that was gonna be good, that was gonna be honest at the very least. But then there was also another part of my life when I went into that house where I was lying to them, actively trying to create false things so I could make sure that they still believed me, so that I could preserve this other path that I thought that they thought that I was on. And I remember just sitting there thinking, I don't even know who I am anymore. I had such a tremendous feeling of guilt. But it's not just like guilt. It, guilt is really, really hard to describe. Because it's, it's, you can write it, but you, if you feel it, you, you, can, you can't describe it. Because at once it feels like I've done a wrong thing, but at the other time it feels like I'm heavy. I'm, I'm just really, really weighted down. Like I could be like a thousand pounds. And, and at the same time, it, it, there's a lot of regret. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of anger. You know, when you're cornered and you're guilty, it's just like, what, why did you put me in this place by caring about me and loving me and checking in on me? Why did you put me in this place? And I was sitting there and I knew that I was convicted. I knew that I was guilty. And I remember um, there's something that Pastor David said to me that was just so, so true. He looked at me and he, he, his eyes are red and I, I'm, I'm crying at this point because I'm just, I'm so disappointing again. And he says, Adam, I forgive you. We're going to have to build trust and it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time. And there was a sense of relief, sort of, but I knew that the path ahead of me was not going to be easy. So when we talk about guilt, I want you guys to know that um, this is not like, you know, how every week there's a Sunday and every Sunday there's a sermon and you have to, like, come up with something to relate to it. This is something that's pretty core to who I am, is this feeling of guilt. So I thought that, you know, I would start off by talking about a couple different ways that we experience guilt, because I realize that we're all different. So one of the first ways that I want to talk about us and how we might be like that kid that was sitting on the couch that had lied to his spiritual parents the first thing I want to talk about is false guilt. So false guilt. You will know that you've lived in false guilt if you have done something where you had basically no choice. Uh, you, uh, a good example that Ty brought up when we were talking about this was like, you're like a mom at the grocery store. Okay, and you go to the grocery store, and you've got a limited budget. You've got to make, you've got to make your grocery list fit your, your bank account. And so you go, and you're in the produce section, and you have the choice. You have $4 organic, homegrown, no GMO broccoli, okay? Or you have $1 broccoli that if you turn the lights off, it'll glow, basically. 
And, 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 and so you've got these two values going on in your head. You've got this value of, well, I really want to provide for my kids. I really want to provide for my husband. I really want to, want to give them the best nutritional stuff that I can. But $4 for broccoli? And then you think, well, I really want to pay a dollar for this because we've only got this much budget. And, and we, we, I mean, you can't eat nothing. So I've got to make some choice. And so there's no way to get out of that situation without some guilt. But you didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong there. But you, you, you still feel like you did something, you went wrong somehow, and you can't quite place it. Now that's kind of like a really light and easy example. Uh, another example from my own life and the lives of the students I work with is uh, suicide right now is a more pervasive problem than we would like to think it is. Um, there's a lot of young people that either know someone recently who has committed suicide or within the last couple of years has committed suicide. And it, it's really, really tough. It's really, really difficult. And one of the things that makes it extra difficult is when someone that you know close commits suicide, there's this feeling of regret, this feeling of, I should have said something. I wish I could have said the right thing. What, it, what would have happened if I had called them like right before they decided and, and said, I love you and I value you. You know, what if I had said this? Or what if I had said this? Or what if I had done this? You know, that happened in my own life. I was an RA when I was in college, and there was a student on my hall. His name was Ryan, and he, he didn't fit in really well, and he was kind of an outsider, and part of my job as an RA was to bring him in and to make him feel part of the group. And uh, probably three, four years afterwards, a couple years ago, I got a phone call, and someone told me that uh, Ryan had ended his life, that he had left college kind of an outsider, he didn't just leave my hall as an outsider. He left college as an outsider. He didn't really have any friends. He didn't really, he made a lot of bad choices. And he got to this point where he wanted to end his own life. And I remember thinking, I just wish I had said something better. You know, I was supposed to be a spiritual leader for this guy, and I wish I had said something better. You know, I could have told him that, that God loves him extra. I could have told him that, that God, God has a plan for his life more. I could have done all sorts of different things. I felt this tremendous sense of guilt for some, something someone did 700 miles away from me that I had, I had no contact with. But I still felt that guilt. And I suspect that here in this room, we probably have some feelings of guilt about things that we have no power over. Maybe we have guilt over things that we really just shouldn't feel guilty about at all. Um, but we still have those feelings of guilt. The next one is a little bit more difficult to talk about because uh, this one we're all in. We're all in this bucket. This is real guilt. You could call it true guilt. See, this is, this is where we've done something wrong or we've said something wrong or, or we've expressed something in our relationship wrong. We've done something selfish and we've burned people maybe in small ways, maybe in big ways. But each of us here, you know, Scripture says that all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. We have all made mistakes that other people have paid for. You know, it, it doesn't really matter what it is. I could talk about uh, marriages, uh, selfishness in marriage. Holy cow, I've only been in it for about six years. And I tell you what, I'm the most selfish person in the world. But there are so many different ways that we can burn our spouse. 
that, that afterwards we, we, want, we want to make it better, we want to fix it. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't, but we're left with this feeling of, holy cow, I would have never done that if I'd have been thinking. Maybe in our job. Maybe we've chosen the wrong job. Maybe we've chosen the wrong co-workers. Maybe we've chosen to be the wrong co-worker. And, and we spend most of our time working around people. And we spend most of our time attacking people. And we spend most of our time like being lazy. Or, you know, there's all sorts of different ways to, to be guilty. Okay? But we're all in this one together. There's not one person in this room that can escape actual, real, true guilt because we're all human we all feel it and the last one uh, it's probably the most difficult to describe but from someone who has chronic guilt um, it's, it's residual guilt and so the way this one works is you know maybe uh, you <clears throat> maybe you made a decision in the past like I did with uh, Kim and David, where I lied to them. I told them a, a mistruth over and over and over and over again. And, and uh, you know, he forgave me then. We worked through it. Our relationship was restored. But I tell you what, there's probably not a day goes by that I don't feel guilty for that. There's not a day that goes by that I don't regret those decisions that I made, that person that I was in that time. And so maybe for you guys, there's something going on in your past, something that you decided to do, something you decided not to do, and it burned someone, and you did reconcile, you did forgive, you were forgiven, but for some reason, that feeling of guilt will not leave you. I want to tell you this morning that there is good news. Because we're all in this together and we've all shared these feelings. And Scripture, I think, paints a very clear picture of a way forward from this. Now, in order to talk about this, I thought I'd bring Ty up. And he, um, he's brilliant. Um, yeah, he's, he's much smarter than I am. And so I thought to reveal Scripture on, on how to get over these feelings of guilt, I thought Ty would be perfect. Uh, but he brought me in. Right, I had, to, I had to have Adam actually come in and tell a story of a time he was guilty because I was like, I, I, I've never been guilty before, so <laughs> I don't know what that's like. <laughs> right, and so basically I'm a ringer for guilt. Um, and if David were here, I don't think he would mind me telling you, uh, he and I both share this thing where we just basically feel guilty for everything. And so this is like the perfect thing where I tell you, hey, we're all in this together, and Ty tells us, here's how you fix it. Okay, so, so let's... Ty, would you share with us some, some key scriptures that are going to help us get sure, through this? Sure, sure. Before I do, I want to let you know that I'm in this boat too. And in fact, I remember this time when I was in seventh grade and we had to write an English paper. It was a compare and contrast paper. And my friends wanted me to, um, to, to do this, this certain thing. And uh, I, I didn't want to do it, but I ended up doing it. And I wrote a compare and contrast paper comparing one of my classmates to Shamu. She was devastated. I got an F on the paper. I ruined this girl's life. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, it was, it was terrible. And to this day, I feel guilty about that. It's, uh, 
one of the stupidest things that I've ever done. But I'd like to, I'd like to share a verse with you that, that I think is fantastic for us today. I invite you to open up the scripture with me. Um, the, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's ones underneath the chairs in front of you. It's going to be on page 1146, which is 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul is, Paul is responding to the reaction of the Corinthian church. He had written a previous letter to them, and in his communication with them, he had really, really hammered them on this one thing. And he had made them feel so guilty. I mean, he laid it on so thick that, in turn, he actually felt bad about it himself. He's like, man, maybe I was a little too harsh on them or something. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he's responding to them because they have a reaction to it and he's, he's trying to help them through this. And then what he realizes is, he says, you know, eventually, he says, I, I'm going to stop feeling guilty about that. In fact, by me hurting your feelings or by me making you feel guilty, that was actually a good thing. And then he arrives at this verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings what? Death. And so while Paul here is using a word, he's using the word sorrow, we can, we can think here about guilt. Because what is, what is guilt really? It's feeling sorry. It's feeling sorry. Like, I, I have this deep sorrow, this deep regret in my heart. And so when, when Paul says godly sorrow, what he's really talking about is godly guilt. We can, we can interchange those words. And so there's a couple things that we can note about this, about this scripture. One is that godly sorrow is productive. Godly sorrow is productive. In fact, Paul says... This is helpful. This is good. When you feel godly sorrow, when you feel guilty for, you know, it's that, it's that God part of you that when you sin or when you do something that's contrary to, to what God's will is in your life, you have a conscience. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you that produces this sense of guilt. You've done wrong. That's a good thing. He says it's very productive. Why? Because it brings you to repentance, which leads to salvation, and ultimately it leaves no regrets. And that's awesome. That's the kind of guilt that we all want. As Christians, we should be begging God to, to make us feel guilty when we do wrong. Don't you want that? If you sin against God, don't you want to feel bad about that so that you can... So that you can change, so you can be better if you sin against someone else, if you do something wrong against God's will, act out towards someone else in a, in a way that's ungodly. Don't you want to feel bad about that so that you can get better? I think we all do. So Paul says there is a godly sorrow, there is a godly guilt, and it's productive, but there is a worldly sorrow, and it's deadly. There's a worldly sorrow, and it's deadly. There's a type of guilt that can make its way into our lives and it is not productive and in fact it's actually killing us. It's eating us alive. 
There was a little boy, and he was visiting his grandparents. And while he was at his grandparents' house, his grandfather gave him a slingshot. Anybody have a slingshot when you were a kid? How many of you got in trouble with a slingshot when you were a kid? I did too. This little boy gets a slingshot from his grandfather, and he's out practicing with his slingshot, and he can't hit nothing. Can't hit nothing. He'd set up his cans, and he can't, couldn't hit nothing. Pretty soon, his grandmother's pet duck walks by. And he's thinking, oh, that'd be kind of fun. So he takes the takes his slingshot, and he shoots, and guess what? Smokes it right in the head. Kills this duck deader than a hammer. He's freaking out. He doesn't know what to do. And so he takes the duck, the dead duck, and he takes it over and he throws it into the wood pile. Out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. And as he turns around thinking, well, you know, I think it's done now. I might have to fabricate a story, but he thinks it's done now. He sees his little sister. And his little sister has now observed the whole story. So he's going to have to kill his sister? No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. So after lunch that day, his grandmother said, Sally, let's, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Johnny told me that he wanted to help wash the dishes today. So guess what Johnny did? Johnny washed the dishes, and then later that afternoon, Grandpa said, hey, you come on, kids, let's go fishing, let's go fishing. But Grandma said, I'm sorry, but I need Sally to help me make supper. And Sally smiled and said, Johnny really wants to help make supper tonight. So Johnny stayed home. And guess what? After several days of Johnny doing both his chores and his sister's chores, he finally couldn't stand it anymore. And he went to his grandma and he confessed to her. And he said, Grandma, I'm so sorry. I, a few days ago, I was playing with my slingshot and I shot your duck and it, I killed him. And the grandma said, you know what, Johnny? I know. I was standing in the window. I watched the whole thing happened. But here's what she said. I was just wondering how long you were going to let Sally hold you as a slave. And friends, I think that's a... When you think about this guilt thing, and you think about this worldly guilt that leads to death, I think that type of guilt is a tool that the enemy uses as leverage in our life to kill us. It's that sense, like Adam was talking about, of, you know, there, there's, there's something that happened in your past, and you've gone to God with it, and you've confessed to God, you've made it right with, with all of the people, you've done everything that you can do, but then there's still this voice that, that constantly nags you, saying, you are a bad person because of that. It's this voice that is, that is constantly saying, you're my slave and I'm going to hold you to this. Bringing up stuff that God has long since forgot and forgiven and made right, but the enemy uses it as a tool in our lives to continue to make us slaves. And so there's, there's a few things that I think we can learn 
to help deal with our guilt, to help get better in this area. And the first one is this. I think that we can sort through our guilt. And I think this is, a, this is a helpful process. We need to sort through our guilt. What does that look like? I mean, how can you do that? What does that, that look like? Well, if you just have this general sense, like, I just feel like I'm a wretched person. I feel guilty all the time. You need to find out where is that coming from. And you need to put a label on it. Is this godly guilt or is this worldly guilt? Is this something helpful that God is showing me I need to do something about that's leading me towards repentance? Do I need to change my mind about this in some way? Or is this just worldly guilt that the the enemy is using in my life to bring death? You need to sort through that. You can ask yourself the question, should I be feeling guilty about this? Have I done everything that I can do to make this right? between me and God and between me and another person. And I don't know, um, this may be a challenge to do on your own. This may be a challenge to do on your own. To, to me, it's a very cerebral thing. I'm, I'm you know, kind of a logical person. It's like if I'm feeling guilty, I'm going you know, to sit down and in a very systematic, logical way write out all of these things and, and think through them and make the process of how I'm not going to feel guilty about that anymore or how I'm going to make restitution for this or that kind of thing. But then there's someone like my wife who is, is led more with her heart than with her head. And for her, this is very helpful to have someone to talk this out with. Okay, so for example, my wife will say, "So what's wrong? You seem sad." She says, "Yeah, I'm just sad." Well, why are you sad? I don't know. She would say, "I don't have a box for that. I don't get that. Like, if I'm sad, I know why I'm sad. You know, it's because of this. It's X, Y, or Z, or because of this equation that led to my sadness." And so she says, "Well, I don't know why I'm sad. I don't have a box for that." So what do we do? Well, we talk through it. And through the talking process, we arrive at some things that are making her feel sad. And I think the same thing might be helpful when it comes to guilt. You know, if you, have, if you just have this sense of guilt and it's eating you alive, you feel like it's pulling you down, it's a gravity in your life, talk through it with someone. Find a friend and say, hey, could... Could you help me? Let's bounce, bounce around some ideas. Excuse me. Get it out on the table. And then, once you've talked through it, once you've put labels on stuff and you've kept what, what you need to keep and, and there are certain types of guilt that God wants in our lives because why? It brings us to repentance. It's the way that God shapes our lives. The rest of it, you need to let it go. And so I would say it this way. You need to deal with it. Deal with it. That sounds blunt or it sounds, you know, kind of like matter of fact, but deal with it. Um, Some things are just that easy. You need to deal with them. And and that can be today. There's no reason that this, uh, this gravity of guilt needs to hold you down any longer. You can deal with it today. You need to deal with it first between you and, and God. If there are ways that you have wronged God and you are feeling guilty about that, you need to deal with that. And the Bible has a word for that. Words, I should say, for that. Confession, repentance. These are ways that we deal with our guilt between us and God. 
And when we do, believer, there is good news. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. What's our response? Our, our job? It's to confess. It's to come clean about it. To not hide it. To be real about it. God, I have wronged you and this is how I have done that. And it says that God is faithful and just to forgive us. And we talk about this gravity of guilt. And over the course of this series, we've been talking about the forces that, that oppose the gravity. And friends, let me tell you that there is a force that is so much greater than guilt. It's, it's not even comparable. This force that is greater than guilt has a word and it's called grace. God's grace is amazing. And the guilt that you feel that pulls you down, this gravity of guilt, it can be overcome by a force that is much greater, and it's the, gra- the, the, the force of grace. Another verse from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. God doesn't just remove your sin. He forgets about it. And Adam was talking about this residual guilt that we can feel. God doesn't have residual guilt. God doesn't have residual impact. When He forgives, He forgets it. It's gone. And so when you have these feelings of, gosh, you know, remember that thing back when and you're talking to God about this, it's like He's saying, what are you talking about? I already forgot about that. I already forgot about that. Psalm 103.11 is another fantastic verse. And it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. Now you think about that. If He had said north from the south, if you go north far enough you get to a point where you start going south again. But if you go east, how far can you go east before you start going west? You can go east forever. You can go west forever and never be going the opposite direction. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. We need to deal with it between us and God. But secondly, we need to deal with it between us and other people. If you've wronged someone, if you've hurt someone, if you've said something that was hurtful, if you've done something that was hurtful, if you've acted in some way that has hurt someone, you need to deal with that. This is hard. It takes time. Like Adam said, um, when he came clean in that act of confession in admitting his wrong to his spiritual parents... They entered into a process that took years. Years of rebuilding a broken trust. And now, the relationship is reconciled, but it was a long process of meeting together, of of going back and and describing hurts and pain and um, bringing these real issues up and, and talking about them, getting them on the table and deal with them, deal with them, dealing with them. There we go. 
systematically as time went on. I was trying to, uh, I was trying to see if there could be some helpful advice that I could give you. I, and I did a Google search on, on something like, you know, tips for reconciling relationships. I was hoping for something like, you know, just real quick bullet points that I could give. And I, I came across this article. And here's the title, and this, I'm not even joking about this. It says, How to Reconcile with Someone Without Losing Your Pride. How to Reconcile with Someone Without Losing Your Pride. And I didn't read the article, but I thought, you know what, that's, that's impossible. Because really reconciling with someone else starts with losing our pride. It starts with admitting our wrong, owning what we can own in the situation. So as you get these out on the table and as you, you label them for what they are and you sort through them and then you deal with them and you deal with them between you and God and you deal with them between you and, and other people that you have wronged, I would say that the, the third piece that can be very helpful in this is to remind yourself of your true identity. Remind yourself of your true identity. Adam mentioned a great book called Who I Am in Christ. I think that would be a, that'd be a wonderful place to start. There's also some interesting, uh, interesting things you can search for online that are just kind of some bullet points, but I'm going to suggest, I'm going to suggest this week reading through Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Jot that down. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three parables. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. The second one is the parable of the lost coin. And the third one is the parable of the prodigal son. You may be familiar with all of those parables, but here's what I would challenge you with this week. Look at who you are in the story and what Jesus says about you. Because guilt will say, you're a duck killer. You're a cheater. You're a crook. You're a sinner. But in these parables, you know, Jesus says, you're, you're like a lost sheep and you're so important to me that I would leave the 99 to come and rescue you. You're like a lost coin. You're so valuable that I would overturn the entire house. I would get down on my hands and knees and search all day long just to find you. You're so precious to me. The lost son, he, he says, you know, you have made terrible choices. You've ruined your life. But when you come back to me, I'm not going to be standing there to make you feel guilty about all that you've done. I'm going to be standing there to give you a hug and a big embrace and to put a ring on your finger and to throw a party because my prodigal son has returned. And so, friends, we, we were not made to live with guilt. Would you embrace God's gift of grace to you. Adam and the team are going to come and lead us in a, in a final song here. And as they come, the ushers are going to pass.